You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. I mean, it provides great protection and it's really breathable so you don't get hot. That's a win-win. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. This is Asked and Answered. Questions. With Tom Opferman and Steelers Digest editor Bob Labriola. I got to say, Labs, I'm pretty pleased to be here this morning with you for Asked and Answered. Once I heard Tomlin after the game on Sunday say there was going to be a lot of changes, I was for sure thinking I was at the top of that list. Get me off of this podcast. Maybe just kill this podcast altogether. So, whew. No, thank God I, I can wipe the that. sweat off my brow now. I, I heard the changes were we were going to do two of these a week instead no, oh, of just one. I would think I'd rather be fired. <laughs> uh, but what do you make of that comment from Coach T? I mean, I you hear obviously the civilians think it's going to be like a blood offering is in the making now. Fire everybody! Do you think it's that extreme? Or do you think, you know, obviously you need to make changes when you just lost 30-6 to six to Houston? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, you know, Mike Tomlin has never been a guy, and I'm going to use one of his own uh, sayings, never been one to shoot a hostage. Right. Um, and, you know, I, I just don't know, you know, the kinds of things that fans, I think, want, uh, I just don't know how realistic they are. You know, I mean, there are fans out there calling for Ben to become the offensive coordinator. And, I mean, let me just say <laughs> this about that. Ben has no interest, people. Ben has no interest. I mean, you would have to probably get a court order, you know, to, <laughs> to get him to do that. Um, so, you know, Ben is Ben's not interested in coaching anyone, but maybe his son's uh, son's uh, little league team, little league football team. You know, Ben could probably coach baseball or, or whatever other sport. You know, um, kids his son's age play, but. Uh, you know, the, the guy, uh, he's, he's, he's living his best life now. Leave him alone. I mean, he, he earned uh, retirement. He earned, you know, to retire um, at the, with, with the security, financial security and other stuff that he has. He earned that. Uh, leave him alone. I mean, people think that um, there's some kind of mandatory lifetime uh, responsibility you know, for, for it, it, what it was, a, it was a job. Um, and yeah, you love the team. You love the franchise. You love the fan. I mean, all of that good stuff. I get it, but um, you know, Ben's done, leave him alone. Um, so that's just ridiculous. So, but anyway, I, I don't know what, what kind of changes you could make, you know, because let's, the example I'm always using is this one, Desmond King. Guy was a pro bowl, all pro, excuse me, an all pro cornerback at one stage. Right. Um, you don't get him until after the 53 man rosters are the original 53 man rosters are formed. And he hasn't played. I don't, I don't know that if it's any defensive snaps, but he has not played any kind of meaningful defensive snaps so far this regular season. And this is only defense. He's, he's learning, you know, and that and the audibles and the checks and everything. So imagine we're going to, you know, and who, what offensive coordinator is on the street right now? You know, I mean, I, I you know, uh, again, um, I'm not um, discounting, you know, the fans frustration, 
but it it's just I, I, I just don't know I don't, I don't know what what they what they think can happen and it's going to be successful and they want it successful immediately you know yeah. now that that's for the Sunday. thing. They're they're banging the table for a change at the OC, of course. But if you make that change and it probably doesn't yield any different results, because like you just said, you're four games into the season. What can you really change about your offense? You can't overhaul it completely at this point in the season. They're just gonna get mad all over again. It's just gonna be take out one name and insert the other one. Yeah, and you know you you bring in someone uh, again. Offensive coordinators often come with you know, their own systems right. or at least their own framework of their systems. Well, they can't install a new system now. I mean, that's, it's, it's absurd. So um, anyway, let's, let's hear what the fans have to say. All right, well, let's get right to the questions today. Our first one comes from Stephen Schrader from Portland, Oregon, and he wants to know, when do you think the Jets will contact the Steelers about Mason Rudolph? What are they waiting for, Labs? Um, you know, uh, Stephen, if if you are the one who's waiting for the Jets to contact the Steelers about acquiring Mason Rudolph in a trade, because that's what it would have to be, um, I, I believe it's going to be a long wait, and you're going to end up disappointed because, <laughs> you know, I, I just gave the um, example of Desmond King. Okay, now we're talking about a quarterback. You're adding a quarterback to a roster who has absolutely no experience with your team with your players, with your offensive system. We're into the regular season. Again, I don't think that the Jets are going to add or make a trade for someone that they want to start. Because how long are you going to have to wait for that? Right. To, for the guy to become, you know, well-versed in the offense and, you know, if there's audibles or learning the personnel, I mean, or any of that stuff. And if you're just going to acquire a guy to be a backup to Zach Wilson, well, I mean, there are guys out there you can do that to. Sign him to the practice squad. You know, it doesn't cost you anything. Uh, the guy can learn a little bit. Uh, you know, and you, you, you hope that, if I'm the Jets, you hope that, you know, you can get by with your defense and Zach Wilson develops a little bit and, you know, gives you a chance to win some games. I mean, let's let's face it, there are no good options for the Jets. They went all in on Aaron Rodgers right. uh, in terms of, you know, the commitment to him as a player, then the financial commitment to him with their salary cap, uh, and he lasts only four plays and tears an Achilles. I mean, you know, the Jets have to be, you know, I don't know, snake bit or what, whatever, whatever cliche you want to use <laughs> for really, really bad luck. So, I mean, I, you know, it, it, it's – I don't want to tell the Jets to just pack it in and, you know, uh, it's over, but I, I don't see there that there are any easy, simple uh, solutions or any that are going to uh, bear uh, significant fruit right away. I mean, in uh, Robert's, Robert Soleil, their head coach, uh, said recently about Zach Wilson, he's our unquestioned quarterback. As long as he continues to show his preparation, the way he's been practicing, and even in these games, he's not the reason why we lost. It's always a team effort. As long as he continues to show improvement, I know from a box score standpoint it's not showing, but he's going to be our quarterback. Again, I know fans don't want to hear that stuff, but I think as the coach of that team in this particular situation, he's doing the right thing. 
I agree completely. And, you know, he said there in that quote you just read from a box course, box score standpoint, it's not showing. It kind of did show in the box score on Sunday night against the Chiefs. He had a marvelous performance. I know I know, he dropped the snap and turned back into the Zach Wilson we all know and love, but he was playing a hell of a game going toe-to-toe against Patrick Mahomes. I mean, Labs, if I'm the Jets, you just kind of grit your teeth, get through the season, and then hope Rodgers is back next year, right? Like, you just kind of got to bite the bullet. Yeah, and, you know, about that game specifically against the Chiefs, the Jets got hosed. Oh, yeah, <laughs> the big Jets time. got hosed. Oh, boy. So, but anyway, um, that's 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 another subject totally. Paul McElhaney from Graytown, Ohio asks, Presley Harvin III was booming his punts during that Sunday night game against the Raiders. For the most part, great hang time and distance. Is this what the Steelers saw in him when they picked him? Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure that it, it was because, you know, it's not very often – that the Steelers historically have used any draft pick on a punter. Uh, you know, since Chuck Noll was hired in 1969, the Steelers have drafted a punter only five times. And, you know, when Noll first came on, were drafts were 17 rounds, you know, so, and then they were, it was shortened to 12 and then to seven. So there was a good bit of time since Noll was hired when, you know, if you wanted a punter, you know, 17 rounds <laughs> right. uh, offered you, you know, a, a, a pretty good number of, uh, you know, spins at the wheel. So uh, they've only done it five times. Craig Colquitt was a number three pick in 1978. John Goodson was a number eight pick in 1982. Harry Newsom was a number eight pick in 1985. Daniel Sepulveda was a number four pick in 2007. And Presley Harvin was a number seven pick in 2021. So when a team... Uh, an NFL team spends a draft pick on a kicker, punter or place kicker. Uh, I'm pretty sure that the expectations are significant. Um, and the, the, it, this shows that the, you know, the Steelers haven't done that very often. Dale Geller from Cape Corral, Florida. I know that if a player is signed off another team's practice squad, he must be on the 53-man roster for at least three games. But does he have to be active for those three? No, he does not. He needs to be on the game day roster. He does not have to be on the game day roster for each of those three games or any of those three games. Uh, and as I mentioned uh, in a previous podcast, um, if you take a team, uh, excuse me, if a team takes a player off another team's practice squad, he's got to be on the 53-man roster. Now, even for three games, and even if they cut him, then they can only have 52 men on their roster. So he's not only on the roster uh, physically, but he occupies that space, whether he's on the roster or not, for the three games. Mehmet Schratt from New York, New York. How is it determined when a timeout is a 30-second timeout? I think that if the network doesn't have any commercials to air, it can be a 30-second timeout. If that is true, how does the network communicate that to the officials so quickly? Okay, if you're ever at a game uh, on the sideline, and it's it's always the home team's sideline at about the twenty yard line, so the guy the, these people are away from inside the bench area. There are two guys standing there. One guy has a one of those like a fluorescent green baseball caps on with the NFL logo, and there's another guy uh, who has. They're, they're kind of like those, uh, there would be fluorescent orange sleeves, just from like elbow to, to wrist. Okay, yeah, like the shooting sleeve. 
okay. Um, I don't know what that is, but it sounds like <laughs> people it. Okay. Do, people so, do. People <laughs> do. But anyway, um, they're wearing headsets. So those guys are in communication with New York, which me, I'm talking about the NFL office in New York. Right. And the, the, whoever the director of the broadcast is in the truck. And everybody's wired up. So uh, whenever there is going to be a stoppage or whatever there's going to be a video review or whatever there's going to be, whatever there's going to be, uh, it comes through those people, to those people, and then those people on the sideline get the information to the uh, on-field referee who is in charge of the, the pace of the game. So uh, just a couple of things you'll see. The guy with the orange sleeves, he will, you know, with the uh, um, uh, referee's motion for illegal procedure, false start. If he does, if, excuse me, if the guy with orange sleeves does that, that means keep it going. We're not going to break. If the guy like either crosses his arms over his chest or puts one arm over his chest, that means we're going to break um, and then. The, ref, you'll, the referee will keep an eye on that guy. And when he takes his hands away, that means the break is over. So that's why a lot of times you'll see um, during a replay review, as an example, um, the referee will be standing out. If you're at the game, you see this a lot easier because right. who knows what they're actually showing on television. But the referee will be standing out on the field facing um, the home press box because that's where the main tv cameras and he'll just stand there and wait and a lot of times you'll notice players on the teams for example if if, if it's a if it's a review on a turnover you know is it what well, did the intercept the, or did the guy who intercepted the ball get both feet in downs in bounds or not okay so you're waiting to see waiting to see referees standing out there and you'll see sometimes the players on the two teams will react because they already know what it's going to be so one team's offense will come out or the defense will, you know what I mean? And they'll start to get ready for what's going to be announced. Okay. And that's when, you know, then the guy with the orange sleeves will take his hands away and do the illegal procedure thing. And then you'll hear the referee click on his mic and talk to the people. So that's how that all works. Those are, you know, two guys who, um, you know, <laughs> they may not have very much to do at all with, the final score or anything, but they're oh. pretty important um, to the product and the pace of a football game um, every Sunday. Some people in the league office might say they're the most important to the product on Sundays and Monday nights. Beth Maps from Eatonton, Georgia. During the most recent Steelers game in primetime on a Sunday night in Vegas, when players were announcing what college they attended, George Pickens said Hoover High School and not University of Georgia. What gives? <laughs> Okay, I got a question for you, Tom. Do you think Beth either attended the University of Georgia or she's a Bulldogs fan? Beth from Eatonton, Georgia? Yeah, I'm going to go out on a limb and say she's a big Bulldogs fan. Um, okay, so, you know, it's it's an assumption that the players are to announce the college they attended. But, I mean, that's not a restriction placed on the players by the network. And I believe, this is my personal opinion, that the network likes when the players go off script a little bit. You know, um, it it's interesting. Maybe it holds the viewer's interest while that's going on, because if everybody just mentions their college, it's kind of boring. You know, hurry up, let's go, right. let's get to the game. It's a lot of the things that I'm thinking when I'm watching 
a game and that's happening. Now, here's a little, you know, anecdote. Um, Jack Lambert was very fond of making fun of that, <laughs> that whole procedure. And, you know, I'm sure you can imagine, um, you know, Lambert enjoying that, you know, making fun of it. And there was a time where, you know, a lot of times the player will give his name and then say where he's from. So Lambert got on one time and he said, Jack Lambert, Buzzard's Breath, Wyoming. <laughs> like he's and, a professional wrestler where he's built from. <laughs> um, but uh, that, 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 I think that was a Monday night game because at the time that was, those were the only primetime games. Uh, and I think Howard Cosell, if I remember the game correctly, Howard Cosell, I don't know if he knew for sure it was a goof or he just decided to play with it, you know, and he kept referring to him a couple of times anyway, as being from Buzzard's Breath, Wyoming. Um, <laughs> you know, reality, Jack Lambert's from Mantua, is I believe that's how it's called, uh, pronounced, Ohio. And he played his fo college football at Kent State. But, um, you know, George, uh, George Pickens wasn't the first guy to go off script a little bit, and at least he didn't make fun of it, I, I would say, is a kind way of saying you're from Buzzard's Breath, Wyoming, uh, as Lambert did. Or have fun with it. Let me put it that way. Um, but yeah, because Pickens is from uh, Hoover, Alabama, so he and so he went to Hoover High School. So it's a shout out to his hometown. So you're telling me when Ike Taylor used to say he's from Swaggin University, that's not a real school. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no wonder they never got back is... to me when I kept applying. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, they don't. They don't have a broadcast journalism department. <laughs> Our final question today comes from Alonzo Gomez from Puebla, Mexico. After watching the video game in Miami a couple of weeks ago when the Dolphins scored 70 points in a win over Denver, I wonder how many times and who has the record for the most touchdowns in a game for the Steelers and how many is the most points Pittsburgh scored in a game? Okay, I'll deal with the last question first. Uh, the most points scored in a game in franchise history um, was 63 to seven over the New York Giants on November 30th, 1952. Um, and that's also uh, the record, Steelers record for the most touchdowns uh, in a game nine. You know, nine times seven is 63 for, you know, those of us without a, uh, a calculator. Thank here. you. So that's nine touchdowns, 63 to seven would be the records for most points in a game and most touchdowns in a game. Uh, just for a little historical perspective, uh, Lynn Shadnoise, a halfback, wingback, tailback. He's from Michigan State. Don't tell Pursuta. <laughs> Pursuta knows that. Don't, don't think for a second he doesn't. Um, but he got things started. He returned the opening kickoff 91 yards for a touchdown. And he also scored again, so the Steelers led 14-0 in the first quarter. Uh, and this was total domination by the Steelers over the Giants, who were – you know, a good team. The Giants in the in the in the fifties, they were constantly um, competing for and often winning the Eastern Conference Championship. So, you know, this was kind of an anomaly in the fact that the Steelers um, beat them so badly. As an example, the Steelers' defense had seven interceptions, recovered two fumbles, scored on a block punt, and beat the Giants up badly physically. Uh, as for the team record for most touchdowns scored in a game by an individual, okay, that record is four, and it's shared by three players. Ray Matthews had four in the Steelers' first ever win over the Cleveland Browns in October 
on October 17, 1954. Roy Jefferson, um, November 3rd, 1968, he was a wide receiver. He scored four against the Atlanta Falcons. And here's a name some people might remember, Chase Claypool. Ah, uh, Mr. Claypool. October, October 11th, 2020, during his rookie season, he scored four against the Philadelphia Eagles. Things are going great for him in Chicago right now. I don't know if you've seen any of those reports out of the Bears country. Ugh. Not happy with Claypool. I, I, well, I don't think anything's going real well for the Bears at this point. But, uh, yes, point. I have seen re- I have seen reports that he's on the trading block or, or whatever. I mean, you never know what to believe. Um, but, yes, things are not going well in, in the Windy City for the the home team's football team. Steelers scored 63 points in that win over the Giants in 19, way back when. Uh, hopefully, they can get even maybe a quarter of those points uh, against the Ravens on Sunday. I'm sure that would go a long way to uh, help a lot of people feel confident in them getting the win. Ravens come to town. It's Ravens week. Ackershire Stadium at 1 o'clock is the kickoff. Steelers try to get back on track and get their second AFC North win under their belt in the 2023 season. That'll do it for us today. For Bob Labriola, I'm Tom Opferman. As always, thanks for sending in your questions to Labs. Get them in now, and hopefully you'll hear them on a future episode. And we'll be back again next week on Ask and Answered. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.